I told you my sister passed. Her son, my nephew, passed two years ago for fentanyl overdose. So it's it is a family disease, and it just keeps going. And and to your point, like I've worked, I have a gentleman who who actually works with us now who was a 50, he was 52 years old, you know, and he was a heroin addict and he was a heroin addict from his early twenties. And I used to, I used to tell him, I used to say to him that next to Keith Richards, he was the longest living junkie in America. (laughs) And he, but he, he's sober now for, for almost 14 years. But like you said, with the new stuff, it's almost like we become, we become addicted to death. Are you ready for stories of resilience, triumph, and transformation? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, where we dive deep into the journeys of individuals who've overcome life's toughest challenges. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, certified addiction recovery coach, mental health and addiction recovery advocate. And through my recovery and mental health journey, I found I have a passion for speaking with people who have triumphed over their greatest tragedies. We uncover stories of facing great adversity to success, from addiction to recovery, from mental and physical illness to prosperity. That is what Knocking Doors Down is all about. And if this is your first time checking out Knocking Doors Down, hit that subscribe button on whatever audio podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave a thumb up on the video as well as a comment because not only do I see it, which I appreciate, but my guests do as well and they appreciate it even more. And my guest on this episode is Brian McAllister, a transformational figure who emerged from a 20-year battle with addiction and alcoholism. Brian is not only a corporate leader and entrepreneur, he also wrote an Amazon number one best-selling book, Full Recovery, as well as establishing the Full Recovery Wellness Center. He also introduced innovative solutions with Freedom 365 and My Mental Health, a mental health nonprofit to make treatment accessible to all. Brian and I dig into why he started a nonprofit helping others, also why he lives by the mantra of be yourself, everyone else is taken. We also discuss how the fentanyl crisis has impacted his family directly, why it's important daily to check your motivation for what you do. And Brian and I discuss how we have a lineage of addiction in our families and how this truly is a family disease and so much more on this episode of Knocking Doors Down. Mr. Brian McAllister, thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm always, uh, you know, gentlemen such as yourself and well, people in general such as yourself uh, really motivate me. I mean, you've done so much amazing work through your recovery. And so, hey, I get to pick another indirect mentor. So this is this is all for me. <laughs> that's it. You know, just pass it along with people have passed on to me. And that's really the whole the whole deal, what it's all about. Absolutely. Give it a way to keep it. Absolutely. Well, I always like to start with gratitude. So three things you're grateful for today. Number one is I woke up. I woke up with a clear head. I know what I did last night and I know where I am right now. So that that's a good start. Second is I have my my lovely wife who got me on this tablet because my computer uh, camera broke down this morning of all days. So, <laughs> so I'm using her her uh, uh-huh. tablet. And, and number three is I'm here in the in the gorgeous Southwest. And um, life has been very good to me. I'm sober, I'm free, and I'm loved. Who's got it better than me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, it's funny. I was talking with with my partner. I was talking with her last night, and I said, you know what's really cool is it's a Super Bowl Sunday, and I'll be completely sober the next day. Yeah, what a concept. (laughs) (laughs) And thinking back to some of those Super Bowl Mondays, so to speak, where it was uh, either calling in sick or trudging off to work and being a, a probably an a, a insufferable jerk the whole day. So yeah, I get it. I get it. No, it, it's it's all good. Got plenty to be grateful for. Yes, sir. Well, you've done so much amazing work. I mean, you got the book uh, "Full Recovery: The uh, Recovering Person's Guide to Unleashing Your Inner Power." I want to dig into that. Um, but you also went down the process of nonprofit and really wanting to to help people get into treatment and work the recovery process at what point in your sobriety did that really come about well that's a pretty recent uh 
you know, adventure we've t- really mm. taken off on. Um, it started, uh, my sister died of a heroin overdose back oh. in the early 2000s. And that's when I, I, I wrote, I've written three books. That's when I wrote the first one uh, because I had been sober at that time, uh, about 15 years. And my life had become like spectacular beyond my wildest dreams, you know, success in many different genres. And uh, when that happened, it made me step back and take a look at, at my life and, and what I was doing with it. You know, at, at the time, uh, when I got sober, getting uh, financially stable and, and re, you know, getting my relationship with my family right, and all these other things. And, and I was lucky. This, this is what happened. I, I achieved all that. And then when she passed, it made me revisit that. So when I wrote the book, the first book, uh, I got it. Uh, really was it was a, a director from Hollywood read it called me and said hey I'd love to go through this program in your book and I thought well I really I really can't put him up at the New, New Jersey Holiday Inn but this guy wants to come back for a while so what <laughs> am I going to do so I went out and I, I wanted purchasing a, a, an estate because it was the time when the financial collapse had taken place so I got this place really cheap like a hundred acre mansion the whole nine yards and and I brought him back and from there, it turned into a halfway house. From the halfway house, it turned into a, a licensed treatment facility. Then uh, from there came, you know, I, I had the uh, opportunity to work with a lot of people. But so many people came in, you know, when I'll just speak for myself. When I was uh, out drinking and drugging, my finances weren't really that wonderful. And I didn't have the best health care or anything like that. So I used to see people like myself wander into my treatment center. We would help as many as we could. Uh, without, you know, on, on the cuff, not charge them just to bring them in. But, you know, it was a business. It had to, it had to stay open. It had to pay for itself. So uh, I got this idea to come up with a, a virtual recovery system that we can give to anybody, regardless of their ability to pay. And that's really what we've done with, uh, with uh, My Mental Health, which is our nonprofit. Anybody can log into there and it has a 28-day program. It has uh, assessments, like the same assessments you can get in a treatment facility. It's got uh, over 600 videos, all searchable. So like anything recovery, like I am, I'm, I'm arguing with my wife, my career's going in the toilet. I need to ask for a raise. Anything, <laughs> the reasons people go... And, and relapse are really in there. So it's, it's ever expanding. And the whole goal was, again, you know, to, to get people what they need to, to get on the path of sobriety. And it's a start. It's not, you know, it, it, it's, it's a way to get there. And it's a 365-day program. So it's pretty cool. We're pretty proud. We won a bunch of awards and stuff. Absolutely. You should be proud. And it, let, I want to dig into that recovery or the uh, relapse um, part of it because I've gone through one and I've been working with a couple people that have have had the um, you know gone through it as well. How do you really your perspective in helping them you know reframe it, ditch the shame, the guilt as quick as possible to really try to identify that reasoning? Because for us addicts, it can seem small outwardly to people, but you're as right. It could be, you know, mine is simple with somebody making me feel guilty uh, for doing good in life. And it's like, you relapsed over doing good in life? Well, yeah, because I was a people pleaser and looking for outward validation and this person mm-hmm. unvalidated, you know, whereas yeah, sure. nowadays, if somebody did something like that, I'd be like, uh, you've just lost a lot of accessibility to me, if not all <laughs> of it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's that's really the truth, you know. And and, and self sabotage is mm. is a character trait that most of us share. You know, uh, we're not used to being successful. You know, so subconscious. I'll speak for myself. You know, it's happened. I'm sober for over 33 years now. I got sober when I was 32, and um, you know, my life is. I was I was unemployable when I got sober. I you know got a minimum wage job. Like I had no skill set, no education, and I just was kind of fumbling around. But, you know, once things started going well in a relatively short period of time, I started improving and things got better for me. You know, I started subconsciously making decisions that turned people and situations against me. It was that I don't you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. That was in the back of my mind for so many years that it just kind of creeped out when I wasn't looking and came to the surface. So that's why it's so so important for alcoholics and addicts, you know, like. I'll lose myself again. Like I try not to look at situations that I'm involved in as, as a success or a failure, mm. you know, because when I think if I failed, I, 
I get down on myself. I start the negative conversation in my head and, and I'm circling the drain. I start going down. You know, I look at things now that if whatever I attempt to do in my life or however my life is going, I'm just getting a result. Sometimes I get the result I want. Sometimes I get something different, just like a scientist does when making an experiment. They don't get all the results they want. That's why they're doing the experiment. But if I learn something from the experience, then, you know, I realized it hasn't been a failure. It's been a success. I know at least now what doesn't work, you know, which gets me one step closer to my goal. Mm. Yeah. And and that's one of the things I try to talk with uh, or, or preach. I don't know what you want to put it out there is, that, hey, we used mm-hmm. to experiment with the chemical to adjust our our emotional state, whatever we're going through. Now we get an experiment in a totally exciting way. Mm-hmm. Like embrace failure, you know, what people would say are failures, because, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head is there's so many wonderful lessons to be learned. And usually when you win, you don't learn much. You know? No, no, uh, I, I, I get it. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done. And I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. I do, and that and that's so important, and that's something I had to learn, you know, like, like when I got sober back back in 1990, you know, I wound up going like rehabs are kind of just starting out around that time. Mm. And uh, I wound up in a 12 step program. And, you know, I, it, it was good for me because I would go there and there was people and they helped me get sober and, you know, find a spiritual centeredness and things like that. But when I looked around the room, there was a lot of people there who really weren't having the kind of life that I wanted. You know, they weren't career-minded they you know their relationships weren't weren't good they you know they had no clue as to which direction they wanted to head you know so like you know and not that not to take anything away from them and i wanted more i'm an addict i'm an alcoholic more (laughs) is my thing you know what i mean so where am i going to direct that character trait that i believe was built into me at birth you know so i started seeking out other solutions and um and then you know even think about the 12 steps you know aa for example like having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, right? We try to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. How do you do that? So yeah. that's what I really spent my whole career doing is figure how I can take the moral and ethical values that I learned to stay sober and bring them into my finances, into my career, into my marriage. And that's really the difference, you know, because I believe a lot of the times people relapse is because they don't get the rest of the picture. Life still stinks. They haven't figured it out and they get a case of the efforts. Yeah, I agree. There's, and I've, and I've done the, you know, I've had somebody, oh, I didn't like AA. Well, why not? Well, this meeting. And I go, we'll try a different meeting because I've had to do, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, just go to a different one. Cause yeah. I've, I've gone through the same process, Brian. I've seen people that, and again, not a knock on them cause they had, you know, long-term recovery and, and yep. I only can see what they're sharing there in a meeting, but they didn't have what I wanted. And I can, that really resonates with me. You know, it was, it was okay, I'm hearing that, but you're 15 years sober. You're still going through financial struggle. You're still having struggles with your, your children, uh, you know, you're keeping a relationship, whatever it is. Yep. Like I, I didn't, I wanted more than that. And, and once I accepted, like, I'm, I'm worthy of just as much as everybody else when it comes to success, however you want to look at that. And so it was the, the accepting that there's going to be a point that my success is going to have to be outside of these rooms. And that's Agreed. a good thing. And that's the challenge that I needed. Agreed. And, you know, life isn't fair. Let, just got to get that off off the table. Like, you know, some people are, are dealt some really rough stuff, yeah. you know, but I thank God every day that life isn't fair. You know, some people were born with disabilities. I wasn't. Some people died drinking and drugging. I didn't. So I look at these things from a perspective is thank God life isn't fair because, you know, if I got what I really deserved a lot of the time, 
I'd be dead or in jail a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So like I try to celebrate that and and use that to my advantage because fair has nothing to do with it. We all have to work the hand we're dealt. And and I believe that alcoholics and addicts are dealt a good hand. And, that, and I'll explain that. Because think about it. Who who is more committed to get what they want when they want something than an alcoholic or an addict? I don't know about you, but I would have crawled across hot coals in my face to get what I needed when I needed it. I would stand outside mm-hmm. a tenement in Harlem and say, I'm going in there and I'm coming out with what I need. You uh-huh. know, That's really a skill set when you can take that type of commitment and motivation that God built into me and point in the right direction. Instead of pointing it to the gutter, point it up the mountaintop. And this way I can use that to achieve my goals, to, to, to be a better person, a better father, a better husband, you know, all the things that we all want. And that's what keeps me excited because I do have that. Most people don't have that type of commitment, but we do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really becomes a superpower. I, I know when I've spoken at, you know, in a couple of high schools and one of the biggest uh, questions I always get is why do you say you're a grateful addict alcoholic? And I'm like, because not only did it really give me a second life, but it gave me a, the blueprint for what I was always looking for my my foundational basis to achieve in life, you know. Yeah. And I don't I don't measure success anymore externally, you know. My saying is no outside solutions to inside problems. I don't I don't look to be fulfilled by something else or someone else anymore. I realize this is internal work and that's pretty exciting when it's like, oh, it's my higher power, me, then, you know, flowing outward. Wow. This is pretty freeing. Like being sober is the most free thing I've ever experienced in my life. It it, it really is. A guy told me early on, be yourself. Everyone else is taken, you know, and the deal was I was always trying to figure out who I, I mean, I've been in the business. I'm in recovery for many, many years. And one thing when you hear people speak, almost almost every time I've heard somebody share their, their message was, I never felt comfortable in my own skin. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I felt like the whole world had the answer and I didn't know what was going on. And I get with that. You know, I'm, I'm born from a, a good long line of Catholic Irish alcoholics. You know, <laughs> I came by it honestly. That's what we did. You know, birds fly, priests swim, we drank. That's the way it uh, went. Right. So like, I, I, I get that, you know? So the idea is I had to figure out Stop letting the world tell me who I was and figure out with my with the guidance of my higher power and people I, I trust, you know, people in long term recovery, uh, who I was, what I was and what I was capable of with no limits. Yeah, boy, that's that landed with me pretty good. I've got addiction running on both sides of my family and and you obviously suffering the yeah. loss of your sister and, um, you know, that never gets easy, but. How did you really step into that accepting like this is going to stop with me? You know, that's the thing I decided. That was a conscious decision. This is going to stop with me. I, I, I had the same moment of clarity. I, I told my son, he was uh, just about 11 years old when I got sober, that this is going to end. We're going to break the chain right here, right now. This is the way it's going to be because it's just an unacceptable way to live. And you know what's funny? It's like the people who... who uh, gave me my values and my beliefs, my parents, my school, my church, my friends, the media, whatever, you know, they, my parents passed along information to me that somebody gave them and it was bad information. You mm-hmm. know, like they, they loved me. It was just what they learned wasn't the right way to live. I, you know, and I had to throw it all out and have a complete psychic change or I wouldn't have been able because again, half measures get you nothing, like they tell us. They, I'm not a half measure guy. Most <laughs> addicts and alcoholics aren't. If I'm in, I'm all in. All right. So, so that that's really it. I made the same type of a decision, and I'll tell you, it was difficult in the beginning because, like, I used to drink with my father, for example, my uncles, mm-hmm. my everybody, everybody hits it, you know. And I'm from a blue collar background, about ten minutes outside of Manhattan in New Jersey, is where I was raised, and. You know, when I got sober, you know, it, it interfered with a lot of relationships. My 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 dad could, you know, if somebody told me you're going to quit drinking, he told me I wouldn't have believed it. You know, like because, you know, he he drank, and, and I'm sure at some level he knew it wasn't right. But his mm-hmm. go, his whole yardstick for success is as long as you can get up and get to work in the morning, you don't have a problem. You know, right. so he uh, 
we our, our relationship distanced for quite a while. And then when he was 65 years old, he called me up almost 66 and he just had his second DUI. And he says, you seem reasonably happy. What are you doing? And I told him <laughs> what I was doing. He's now 90. Yeah, he was he wouldn't have made it to, to 67, you know, and it's all because we're really resilient people, alcoholics and addicts. So he got another another whole run of his life sober, you know, wow. just because he, he put the plug in the jug at that age. Wow. And it just yeah, goes to cool. show that there's not there's not any point in life that he that you really can't turn it around and make that yeah. change. No, where there's life, there's hope. And I've seen it time and time again. Yeah. So have I. And I, I'm with you. I don't half-ass anything. I whole-ass. Get it, get, it, get it all going. Exactly. <laughs> Commitment. That's right. Oh, goodness. Um, let me ask you some questions, if you don't mind, about sure. you know what you're seeing with addiction now. Obviously, you know within the space that you've worked in, I mean, fentanyl changed the game and you know shorten that that thing i mean i i don't mean to necessarily bring i've known opioid addicts or you know heroin addicts they had a 30-year run before they got sober but you know fentanyl we don't have that time no it's it's really crazy my i told you my sister passed her son my nephew passed two years ago fentanyl overdose so it's it is a family disease and it just keeps going and and to your point, like I've worked, I have a gentleman who, who actually works with us now who was a 50, he was 52 years old, you know, and he was a heroin addict and he was a heroin addict from his early 20s. And I used to, I used to tell him, I used to say to him, that, next to Keith Richards, he was the longest living junkie in America. You know, that kind <laughs> of deal. And he, but he, he's sober now for, for almost 14 years. But like you said, with the new stuff, it's almost like we become, we become addicted to death because yeah. we know what's happening. You know I mean? We know what the chances are, but it's easy to say it's going to happen to somebody else. You know? And I also look at the end of my run that when, when I finally got sober, I was praying for the end, make, make that open for the end. Because I didn't even believe in a God or a higher power at that time. And, and I just was, please, you know, kill me or cure me time. And, and that's where it was. So it's a whole different animal. And a lot of these young folks that, you know, in the, even in high school and stuff like that, when I started, um, they don't get an opportunity to have that moment of clarity you and I have had, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it, it's, I don't know what the answer is. I really, you know what the answer is? We keep going after punishment and chasing the, you know, closing the border. It's like, like to, to use an old term, it's like, you know, uh, closing the barn door after the cow already got out. Right. You know, we have to get to the point where as a society, we give people the ability to have hope, to be themselves, to not look, to, you know, not feel like they're less than. And then a lot of the need for uh, alcohol and drug use will be naturally just be removed from our, our society rather than try to stop it once it starts. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to do it. It's like saying now we've. We have to clean up the water because we dumped a bunch of pollutants in there. Well, maybe if we didn't dump the pollutants in there to begin there, we wouldn't have that problem. So that's that's yeah. kind of how I feel. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough deal to know. I mean, I I, I know you live in the you know out out in the western area of United States. I live in California, yep. so I see Fresno, San Francisco, L.A. I've been through them all to see it, and it's just. I don't know. I just find it so incredibly heartless that we let our brothers and sisters just be out there on the streets suffering in the way they, that they are, but I don't overly have the solution. And I would love to see, you know, government shift from the, you know, well, well, here's a clean needle or here's a, well, okay. But have you ever said to him, Hey, we also have an option to get you clean. And then, yeah. you know, let's, let's I, do, you know, and I it's agree. just, yeah. What was it oh. in the eighties? We closed up all of our, Mental institutions and you yes, know. Seven, late seventies, early eighties. Yep, it's opened the door. Yeah, and, and you know it, it. What you said is, is you know a lot of truth. You know, I, I use that gentleman I was telling you about. You know, who was a fifty-two-year-old heroin addict. He was actually quite wealthy. He, he had a trust of about twenty million. He was loaded. He didn't. You know, he had enough money to kill himself. You know, yeah. and his family couldn't really give him his money because that's exactly what he would have done. But you know, he. Part of his deal was, you know, he his his God-given gifts and talents, for lack of a better thing, uh, term, are with with writing. With he likes sports, he wanted to be a sports commentator. But his family, 
had another idea. His father was a self-made man, come over from Europe, and he was uh, a financial whiz. He became, you know, the, the president of a big financial brokerage. And he thought the only way to be happy was and successful was to be a money guy. So he keeps stuffing this guy into a, the, the, an uncomfortable fit, square peg, round hole. He's no good with numbers. He's good with, with verbiage, with writing, with, and he's more you know, ethereal. The other guy's more black and white numbers, drive, drive, drive. So like part of our program, a, part, a big part of what we do even on our free mental health app mm-hmm. is we give people the right questions. What, what are your gifts? What are your desires? What are your dreams? So we draw that out. We don't have them rewrite anything. You know, it was already built into them what what they're like. I don't know. I have puppies. You can tell right away. This guy's aggressive. This guy's meek. This guy. We're born with certain character traits. So we get people to look at them and not be ashamed of them and discover who they are. And then we give them the tools to go out and turn them into reality. So the idea is to take them from where they're at, get sober, give them some some new ways of, of asking themselves better questions better questions, make better answers instead of why is this always happening to me? I'll never be any good. I'm a bum. You know, we give them the right questions and then we give them the skill set to take it to the next level. That's how you stay sober. Become what you're supposed to be. Yes, sir. Have you dug into the archives of past Knocking Doors Down podcast episodes? The Knocking Doors Down podcast archive is available to you for free. Check it out. Here's a snippet from when Charlie Sheen was on the podcast. AA is not the best place for um, for, <laughs> for a famous atheist. Uh, <laughs> just, I kept looking for that f***ing chapter. <laughs> what, you know? So, yeah, um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, sure, you yeah. know? It's, li- it's like saying that we all think the same, like our brains are built the same. They're just not. Right. Yeah. There's, there's such uniqueness involved. Check out this episode and so many more in the Knockin' Doors Down archive. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button, give this video a thumb up, leave a comment, and share with somebody else that you know will get value out of the Knockin' Doors Down podcast. You said something that that really hit home with me when you were talking about not a belief in God or a higher power, and I know a lot of people... um, get turned off by maybe pursuing a 12-step program for that very reason and i you know and as i try to tell them hey i i believe that there was a a a god i just didn't believe there was one that loved or had a purpose for me Mm -hmm. you know how did how did you do that work i mean you know growing up irish generally i'm i'm portuguese background so it's like catholic catholic you know yeah exactly it It was it you know we were born into it like my sponsor used to say, you come by it honestly. That's kind of the way it was. You know, I was actually expelled from a, a Catholic high school, like a permanent out in the end of a boot, which was uh, I was already using every day. And, you know, I had all these you know problems and I was expelled for conduct, unbecoming a Catholic, you know, that kind of deal. And uh, for me, that gave me just the, the FU type of attitude. I just went out there and said, OK, turn the other cheek nonsense I was taught and then they throw you out in the street, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, now the world's my oyster. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And I did. You know, I wound up uh, uh, living like an outlaw biker lifestyle. I was in California for a bunch of time. I was all over the country. I was, I was living like that. And, you know, like you've heard it before, I'm sure everywhere I went, I showed up. You know, so nothing changed except where I was. The people were the same. You know, I was the same. And, um, you know, when I finally hit, you know, I, I had a, a horrific motorcycle accident. I was leaving my wife and son. I was living at the time. Coke was the big thing. It was in the 80s. And I was dealing a ton of blow. And, and all of a sudden, I was in like a cocaine psychosis all the time. And eventually, the best thing I could come up with was to, to leave my wife and son on the West Coast and head back east on my bike. And I wound up getting a horrible accident. Um, I broke my back. They were going to amputate my leg. I still have uh, enough hardware to build a car on my leg. I took a traumatic brain injury, a couple hundred stitches in the head, hands, feet, you name it, I broke it, like evil can evil type breakage. And, you know, I thought I was an atheist at that time. And when they helicoptered me into the hospital, you know, and they put you in that little room, you know, with the curtains around it, the emergency room, and I'm effing this and that, I'm out of my mind, I'm high in coke, I'm, I'm you know, I'm in shock. And, uh, but when they closed that little curtain and I was in there alone by myself for a second, this is a quote. God, they're going to cut off my effing leg. Help, help me, God. You know, all that 
that bravado in the bars debating whether it was a god or this went right out the window when they told me oh here's the moment of truth brian they're gonna they're gonna chop it off and you know they did you know i i asked god for that help my wife who was leaving showed up at the hospital the doctor who was going to take my leg off i got transferred to another place where this guy saved my leg a new guy all these things started happening but being an addict and alcoholic you know, when, the, when, the, when everything settled down after a couple of months in the hospital, I forgot all about that. First thing I did when I got out of the hospital was throw my, I went to my, I live in an apartment. I threw my crutches over the railing, hopped down the stairs on my backside and walked a mile to the bar in a back brace and the leg brace and everything else I had going on because I needed to drink and drug that bit. And what happened was I wound up going on for six more years like that. It took me four years to learn how to really walk without those crutches. And uh, I wanted back in New Jersey after all this time and dragging my poor, unfortunate family behind me, you know, and uh, I was at the, at the, at the jumping off point, like they talk about, I could have killed myself at any time. And when I woke up one day behind a body shop, an auto body shop in a place called Nutley, New Jersey, which is pretty apropos because I was Nutley at the time myself. <laughs> I woke up, hadn't been home for weeks, didn't know where I was. And I remembered that moment in the hospital when I cried out to God and asked him to save my leg. And it popped in my head. And that was the day I said, I can't do this anymore. Please help me. And that's when I wound up in, uh, in uh, treatment that day. And, and that's what happened. And, you know, it was a long, long slog to get to the point where I could actually say I have a spiritual consciousness. But now it's the most important thing in my life. You know, not, I believe that I got away with everything I got away with. I just was so slick, you know. Now I know that God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Yes, sir. Oh, and I'm with you, man. I had a, I, I've talked about it maybe a couple of times on here. You know, for me, a car accident that I just I uh, was married at the time, didn't want to do it anymore, and you know, in the aftermath, played it off. Oh, a dog ran out in front of me. No, I did that on purpose, and I just yeah. I walked away. I mean, I have some some lingering things still to this day if you notice me reshuffling the backs you know <laughs> but uh, all war wounds yeah but in and when i share that like what you know like at a high school like i was saying there's always oh that was your moment no 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 i went on for about another two and a half years yep yeah yep. when there's no other answer you know like if it had been any other way you know i mean i just i just couldn't take it you know but uh it turned into be the biggest gift of my life you know, yes, and that's it. And I would, that accident was the biggest gift of my life. Because if I had not had that horrific scene to draw on when my, when that moment of clarity finally popped in my head, I probably wouldn't have gotten it. But I remembered like I did that once and it happened and I got saved. And, and you know, um, what's nice about spirituality is it's constantly growing and changing. It's in constant flux. As my experiences change, my understanding increases my understanding of spirituality grows and changes, which is really kind of neat. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think as that does, it, it opens up more of, you know, the, the service piece that is so incredibly vital that getting out of our own way, our ego, that the more I explore it, I mean, it's, it's how I start my day. I get a reading, I'm in a group text that, uh, that ironically, somehow comes by way of a, a Vander Holyfield through to my buddy through to me. And, you uh, know, it's like, what, what a weird way I've never met or spoken to a Vander, but I think about that sometimes like, wow, you know, the, the, the ability for people to connect in such a beautiful way that being served and, and then thus taking it and going out with it, you know, it's, uh, it's the part that I love to embrace, you know? And, and I get it there, you know, as simple as the, the telling someone to have a nice day, holding a door, whatever mm -hmm. it is, you know, those little things that we can really do to just kind of make this a better place. Absolutely. Think, things I weren't, I wasn't chasing when I was riding my Harley all around the West coast, you know, <laughs> right. and, and, and now like, I understand that that's really what it's all about. It's what makes me feel good about being me. To be quite frank, you know, it's just, you know, you're, you're in the industry, you're around people, even if you're not in the industry, like for lack of a better term, when you see the light go on in somebody's eyes, when you see somebody's family get back together, when you see all, all the good things that you want for yourself, somebody else getting, there's nothing better. I mean, that, now that's a high, you know yeah. I mean? That's, that's a high that I never got from any, any drug or alcohol and I've done them all.
Yeah. And we genuinely start to cheer people's successes on. Absolutely. <laughs> That's such a wonderful place to be in life, you know, where you, if somebody has a slip up, a failure or whatever, you don't slam them, use it to control or whatever it is. And at the same stroke, you cheer on the successes in a way you never did before. Absolutely. You know, when I was using, you know, it, it's it's funny because now being sober a long time, my my original sponsor in AA used to tell me, check your motivation. Check your motivation. You're very manipulative. You better look at, you know what I mean? And I didn't even realize it. I thought it was, it was just a survival tool. You know, that's what I, I did to get by. Everybody did it, you know? And, and the hardest thing I did was when I did work the steps, you know, originally, when I did, the, you know, the fourth and fifth step, I, mean, I wasn't going to do that. It was like, the last thing I was going to do was tell you all my stuff because you'd use it against me, you know, mm -hmm. is my, my thoughts. So I, everything I had learned, I, you know, I, I, I was raised and I was told this over and over again, never telling yourself your friends will trust you, you know, like never, you know, you, you keep it, you never tell it, nothing leaves the house and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then I come into uh, this lifestyle and they tell me to get sober. I got to tell them myself. And I, you know, <laughs> it was a big hurdle, you know, it really was a big hurdle. Well uh, worth it, you know, well yes, worth sir. it. So again, just a lot of stuff I was taught by people who, who did care about me. You know, they learned the same bad information from somebody who cared about them. They were just passing it through to me. So we talked to her how to break the chain, do something different. Yeah. Do you mind me asking you about uh, about the rebuilding process with the family? It, because it's a it's one of the hugest concerns when someone starts mm -hmm. recovery. You know, I'll tell them, hey, the dynamic and and families. You know, I I had a friend recently, a, a, a sister in law, and went into treatment i'm like you know some of the dynamic stuff is going to have to change you know the the maybe the having the wine at uh you know the gatherings or the holidays or whatever some of that stuff's going to have to go away uh maybe not permanently but for some time you know if you're really going to support your loved one in this process uh, how does how 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 did the missus and maybe what is some of the work she did cuz she had the the biker riding husband it was yeah, a nutcase yeah. out there all the time. And then here it is, he comes back and, and you know, you, you start to go through that spiritual shift. I mean, it's going to change the family dynamic hugely. Absolutely. And I can say that I'm, I'm really blessed. You know, I'm married to the same woman for 46 years. So like, you know, we, we were kids, you know, we jumped up, you know, we took off and we lived, you know, we lived in a camper. We lived in a tent. We lived off the bike. We lived, we just, you know, it was a different time. And uh, when we came back to Jersey, you know, she made a decision uh, that uh, this can't be right. This can't be normal, you know, and she started seeking options for herself. She actually went and talked to a therapist and then she wound up going to Al-Anon. Mm. And like people, I hear people put down Al-Anon and stuff all the time. I, I, I'm a huge fan because it not only saved my marriage, it saved my life because when she started to change and I was still using and acting the exact same way as I always did, you know, I pushed the button. I didn't get the same reaction. You know what I mean? Like it changed the whole dynamic of our relationship. And when I went in, I went in for a 28 day program when, uh, when I got sober, I went up in a detox and a 28 day program it was the same place. She actually went in for a few weeks herself and learned how to, to deal with, with her issues. And she got well and I got well. Then we got well. We had an adult relationship. And your point about, you know, the drinking and all that, I was really lucky. She wasn't an alcoholic, but she liked to have a beer at night. You know, she liked to do that. And uh, she told me that if uh, if I promise her I won't, I won't drink, if I make a commitment, she says, I'll never have another beer in this house. And I'll never drink again. And she never did. So that's love. My, you know, I mean, I was wow. I was lucky that I had a, 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 you know, and of course, our our marriage was shaky shaky for a long time you hear people say people's wives or, or spouses don't want them to go to a meeting my wife was please get out of my face <laughs> you know what I mean? she was all for it but, uh, but it's been good it's been the biggest gift of my life oh i love it thank you for sharing yeah and i think you know Al-Anon, Narcanon, Teen-Anon, all of those, any of those things that can start to educate the family on what addiction is, if they are not themselves, is yep. imperative so that you really yes. understand. And it's, you know, it's not that we're, we are 100% responsible for all of our actions. 
It doesn't, Correct. our addiction doesn't negate that, but addiction in itself is not the moral failure. <laughs> we do yes. a lot of moral failings as addicts. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. It's know? a symptom, not the cause, right? Yeah. So I think, right. well, you know, when I see families really embrace that and, you know, I encourage any, any type of settings. I work at a nonprofit in Fresno, California, and, and uh, the founder who's uh, been in long-term recovery for opioid addiction, he does uh, um, family support groups and there's crosstalk in there. So it's a little bit different than an Al-Anon or mm -hmm. an Arcanon and, and that's really valuable too. So, you know, find those sources, like understand that if you are in a family and this has affected you, you're going to have to, you know, want, you're going to want to explore it. I'll tell you why. My brother, addiction didn't touch him. Me, after my dad's recovery, when I said I'll never do it, I'm the one yeah. that did it yeah, because I, because I went, that was his problem. That was all this. I stayed in this wonderful victim mentality forever. And I never unraveled any of that stuff, let alone know how to talk to him about it. And once, you know, I was blessed with recovery. Now we're so incredibly close and we could talk about anything. And we have really in-depth, deep conversations about spirituality, recovery, Maybe even why where addiction came from. He shared so much about my family lineage on his side. And, you know, these are valuable things that I was blessed with because a lot of people never get that. They never get to know yep. the, the history, you know, let alone I was blessed with the apology that a lot of people want. Well, my dad, wow. you this and, you know, and I got the apology, but I definitely had a foundation that I would have grown regardless of that. I was just blessed with that apology. Yeah, well, that that is a wonderful story, you know, and and it is a family disease. It really, mm. you know, we talked earlier, disease, uneasiness. That's really what it is. I wasn't comfortable being Brian, and uh, and once I had that first drink, that first joint, I was like, you know, just pushing thirteen. I uh, I I felt that immediate sense of ease and comfort that come mm. from taking the first few mind-altering substances, and I just went right past it, right through it. You know what I mean? I, I was in as off to the races and I'm lucky. Like I said, I'm, I'm more than lucky. It's a miracle that, that not only I survived, that I survived with my wife and I intact in our relationship. We were lucky enough to grow and change. It's stronger now than it ever was, you know? So, but if she didn't get well and she didn't figure out what made her want to hang out with a guy like me, but she wasn't like me, you know, a lot of people weren't, you know what I mean? And she figured that out, and I figured out what made me like me. Then we could sit down and be adults and have a wonderful, loving, caring relationship. Nothing better. Nothing. Yes. I wouldn't pay all the, all the whiskey in, in Ireland. You can yes. keep it. I'd rather have my, my loving relationship with my wife. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what do we have going on in addition to uh, uh, my mental health, which I think I'm going to sign up, you know, Regardless where I'm at in my recovery, I'm just fascinated by that that option, and that's beautiful. You put it out there. I mean, you have three books now. I was only aware of the one full recovery, but what what else do we have going on? Uh, well, we just we just closed our uh, our center. I closed it about two months ago. It was open for for I think 13 years, and it was really great. But it's almost like when I closed the halfway house that started the whole thing rolling after the first book. I, I had to see how, how I was going to devote my time. There's only so much time. And, you know, we have a, a product called Freedom 365 that mm -hmm. is also an electronic product. It, it's it's a uh, 365-day program. It's very similar to, to the My Mental Health one, but it has a back end on it for, like, corporations and uh, hospitals and treatment facilities and all types of interaction that they can do with their clients, you know, and, and this way – Again, it costs you know thirty to hundred thousand dollars to send somebody to treatment. Most places don't have good health care anymore. They don't do that. So like this gives people an opportunity for you know a couple bucks a month per, per person. They can they can log on to this program and you were talking about even your 24 hour a day book or your or your daily reader. This comes up every morning with a daily video. You know what I mean? So people don't like to read anymore. It's just hit the button and you get yourself inspirational video like you get from Evander Holyfield. You get something like that through, through the product. So we're doing that and it's really getting a, a great reception, you know, and, uh, you know, we're very proud of that too. But the reason I closed the treatment center is when I closed the, when I closed the halfway house, I'm thinking, okay, I, I can touch, you know, 
30 people a year. Yeah. When we opened the center, I can touch a few hundred people a year. In the last couple of months, we've touched 10,000 people on this product. You know what I mean? So the idea is how can we help more people and make it accessible, you know, less money, more information. And uh, we just did our a release with that, with that for PTSD too, because 40% of the people who have, uh, suffer from uh, substance use disorder have PTSD. So now we have the PTSD program we we'll include in there for no extra cost or anything. And the idea is because it's digital, we could just keep expanding it, put more and more and more information out there that people could reach that I would never get a chance to talk to. You know, so it's kind of, it's kind of a cool way of doing it. And that's the whole goal, to be a service, to try to help as many people as we can avoid, you know, the pitfalls of fentanyl and, and, and an early grave and, uh, and, just, and just get it out there and, and, and just know that good things will come back our way. It always does. Yes, sir. Well, I'll put all those links in the podcast description so anybody uh, watching or listening uh, can inquire more. And I'm going to dig into it. I'll keep in touch with you. I'll get back to you, cool. let you, let you to. know what I think. Um, uh, I'm, I'm excited about that offering because that really is the beauty side of technology that is out there because there's a yeah, whole, whole lot of pitfalls. Oh, yeah. You know, you uh, we I'm, haven't even I'm got into guy, that. Yeah, no, I'm right. I'm not a big, you know, like I know we're talking here and, and, you know, when, when COVID was going on, I went to Zoom 12-step meetings, you know, because that was what I had to do. But I had nothing like two, two people sitting down in a room and that energy that goes back and forth or, or with the group uh, trying to come up with solutions and, and you know, spiritual solutions to, uh, to our common problems. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. We're going to jump into some fun, random questions, uh, Brian, as the British would okay. say, these are for shizzies and giggies, you know? Um, okay. So we'll just have fun with them. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Wow. One superpower, huh? I would be able... Gosh. I... I, I'm not a big superpower guy, to be quite honest. I, I think that if I have one superpower, it would be the ability to have people be comfortable in their own skin. And the reason is it was the key to success, a long-term recovery for me, was to discover you know, what I was supposed to be. There was things yeah. built into me that I just was afraid. It was fear, overcoming fear, you know. Mar Marcus Aurelius, you know, the uh, Roman emperor said, it's, it's not death that a man should fear. He should fear never beginning to live. And when I was stuck in my addiction, I was a 32-year-old, 15-year-old juvenile delinquent in the way I acted to life. Yep. Oh, yeah. I wasn't living. Oh, yeah. That that resonates with me a lot, for sure. Um, dinner with any one person, living or not, who would it be? I would have to say uh, Bill Wilson, just because mm. I owe him my life. Uh, if he didn't come up with the 12 step, every other 12 step program that there is out there came off of his uh, experience and, and commitment to helping people get sober. I never, I never would have got sober myself. So I owe the man a debt. I can never pay it. All I could do is give it away. Like somebody gave it to me. Yeah. I've never, you know, ironically for talking with so many people in recovery, no one has said that. Really? Yeah. Said, I know. I pray for him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I didn't have to figure out. There's to be a lot of people who didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Oh, I've, mm -hmm. I've seen the impact just in my own family and other loved ones. Um, if, uh, if a movie was made about you, what genre would you want it to be and who would you want to play you? Adult you. Adult me, huh? Well, I would say what genre I would think it would be. If it was my young life, it would be a thriller. <laughs> and, and it's unfortunate that Bruce Willis isn't doing well, but I'd say Bruce Willis, another Irish bald guy. So yeah. that, that, that could have been it. But, uh, you know, it's funny because as a young man, uh, I left I left home at 17 and I wound up after I got kicked out of school, I wound up uh, traveling the country and I moved in with two guys back from Vietnam. 
you know, they're a couple of years older than me and they became really my first sponsors. You know, they told me how to do it. They own three porno stores. So I wanted to be <laughs> the night manager of one. They own, they used to fly wow. dope in from Mexico. We used to unload the plane, you know, like, well, so I'm a 17 year old kid thinking this is an exciting life, right. not knowing where this is going to lead in the long run. I had nothing to gauge it by, but I think I would put my story with anybody's. How's that? So I'd say a thriller. Absolutely. Gosh, you just sharing that, uh, you know, I'm a guy that went to school for film and television. I'm already seeing the Netflix series here. This is yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. where you can actually drop that lesson in. You know, I've enjoyed yeah. the shows like the, the narco shows and stuff like that, but there's never that, you know, that big lesson yeah. of, of, of the individual, the primary character really turning their life around. Um, yeah. Let's see. What's another fun one? I like this one. I like this one. Uh, you're on a deserted island. You have one movie and one artist's greatest hits, one music artist's greatest hits. What would they be? I would do music artist. I have to do Van Halen. You know, standing on top of the world is pretty darn good. That kind of deal. And uh, and what was the other one? Uh, uh, one movie. Shane. Riding off into the sunset, you know, you know, ever see Shane? Yeah, it's been been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Oh, old western. Shane is a gunslinger, and and he's because I I used to believe that. I used to believe I was riding off into the sunset, the lone hero. You know, I I didn't realize. You know, everybody told me a man had to stand on his own two feet and do all this stuff and never be afraid and all this. You know, and. In reality, there's not much I could do by myself. I didn't build the computer we're talking to. I didn't make the gas in my car. I didn't make the car. I didn't, you know, I really need help with. I didn't get sober by myself. So, yeah. you know, but I like that movie and I like the romanticism that goes behind the, the lone, the lone gunman going out and into the sunset. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm a big rock fan. I worked in rock radio for 20 years before doing this, and you actually mentioned a Sammy Hagar vocal Van Halen song. So, you know, I'm a huge Red Rocker fan. Still one of my favorite interviews I've ever done in my life. So Really? That that must be great. Sammy was, he was the coolest. Um, Hey, Brian, this has been a real pleasure. I'm glad we were able to connect. And um, I'm going to keep in touch after I want to dig into the, to the, uh, my mental health and um, really see that maybe there's something here or a way to make it, uh, more frequently shown on the podcast here to really help people out. But uh, this is where I like to leave you with the final thoughts. As I said, before we recorded the Jerry Springer moment, just anything you'd want to lend to maybe someone that's struggling or they have a loved one that's struggling. You know, I, miracles happen, you know, that I'm, that I'm sitting here, you know, and I was, I thought I was an atheist. Now I know miracles happen, you know, because, but for the grace of God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the life I've had. Um, I know the whole dark side of life. I, I lived it and I've got this side of life, you know, and I can tell you, this is much better. It's much easier on me. I, it, it, and anybody can have this. It's really as simple as finding somebody who already has experienced what you're trying to accomplish, do what they did and you'll get what they got. You know, if you want to look at what I did, you can go to my mental health and it will give you some, some backgrounds on what 30 years of, of self-discovery and, and, uh, staying sober and living life to the fullest really is. And and that's pretty much it. Anybody who wants to uh, reach out to me, you know, you can reach out to me through through you, through my mental health. And uh, I wish everybody a sober day. Awesome. Thank you, good sir. And on that note, remember, no outside solutions to inside problems. Keep knocking doors down. 